welcome to The Pestle, reviewing and breaking down movies to look for insights into the movie-making process. Hosted by Face Tattoos, because nothing says you're friendly like letting strangers draw on your map. Let's dim the lights and start the show. Welcome, everybody, to The Pestle. Today's show is brought to you by Monkey Shine Beer. Pick up a six-pack and let the monkey spank you with Monkey Shine Beer. Welcome, everybody, to The Pestle. I am Wes. And I am Todd. And we're film guys. We work behind in front of the camera. Uh, always got projects going on. And we like to look at movies, not just for their storytelling, writing capabilities, and what we can learn on that level just as fans, but also what we learned on our own sets and how we're seeing that reflected in other films and um, all the cool stuff that goes into making movies. All of that we try to tease out while we're uh, discussing the film. And I really appreciate, and I've said this a handful of times throughout our 265 episodes, uh, how like 90% of our show is really about the movie. Like we don't go into these weird comedic tangents that really aren't funny um, for, you know, 10 minutes. And then we come back and make a point and then go off another on a 10 minute tangent. Like so many shows I listen to really aren't talking about the topic that's in their whatever uh, subject line. It's just, you know, them trying to crack jokes, which is fine. I am just not that kind of podcast listener. I like, I want to listen to a thing and hear more about that thing. I guess I'm a bit, I don't know, uh, nerdy in that way. But yeah, I, I love what we do. I love, you know, that we're every, every episode, I thought we would run out of things to talk about, but every story is its own universe. That's getting at something it's approaching in its own style. And I feel like if nothing else, that should be a really big flair about your own creative process. Whatever you're working on is its own universe. It doesn't matter how much it looks like the other thing that you made. This is a new thing. Whether it's the same client on a new product or even a refresh on the same product, like every single thing you're making should be its own universe and with its own rules and your own fresh approach to it. And that's going to help it live on its own so that you keep finding creative inspiration no matter what you're working on. What every single time just thinking about, okay, what is this one trying to be? I don't care what the last one was. What is this one trying to be and how can I make it be the most of what it's trying to be? Yeah. What's your creative process like? So a lot of times I think that I don't really have anything to say and I'll sit down and I'm just like, okay, I, I try to not look at it from the point of view of, 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 I, I want to sit down and make something because if I do, then I never will. Cause hmm. I don't always want to, you know, sometimes I feel the the calling of my room and I want to come back here and like write something. But, but for the most part, I don't have that feeling. And I ha it, it's been a learning process for me to, to understand that I need to, I need to just do it and make a habit of it. And if I don't turn it into a habit, then it doesn't get done. And that's okay. It's okay to not, to not feel the pull to do something and just do it anyway. In fact, you know, if you look at a lot of the greatest sports uh, professionals or, you know, greatest anybody, they did stuff when they didn't want to, even if it was stuff they loved, you know, like, like Kobe's a great example, you know, I'm sure he didn't want to wake up at four o'clock in the morning to practice every day. Maybe he did, maybe he did, but he did it anyway, you know, and he did multiple practices a, a day. So I've been, it was, it's been a learning process for me to just, to understand that it's not, I'm not always going to want to create, but to do it 
as a ritual rather than a um, uh, something that I only do when I feel like I have something to say. So, uh, yeah, it is. It is nice to be able to force yourself to sit down and say, okay, you know what? I don't know what I want to say. I don't have anything to say, but I do know I want to create and to go through that process anyway and find a way to there's times when I've had that as a writer where I'm like, I know I'm trying to work on something and the idea just isn't quite there. I'm going to write something anyway. That's completely opposite of whatever I'm trying to do over here. I'm going to do something that I have no emotional investment in and whatever that is, it's fine. It can be crap or it can be fun. It can be lazy. It can be uh, inspired or nothing at all. Like it doesn't matter because I have no emotional investment. And then you crank out something. You're like, that was really fun. I have no idea where that came from. And now, you know, you punch the keys, right? It's just, you know, you get in there and, and suddenly the juices are flowing. You have some momentum and you can carry that into whatever it is you're trying to do. Yeah. Just as a creative exercise, uh, finding a way to force yourself into create something right now, whether it's, you know, meant to be something big or not, that's okay. Just get that rhythm going and remind yourself that you can still do this even when it's hard or whenever you feel like you're done, you've exhausted all the possibilities. Uh, you haven't, there's still so mm-hmm. much more to say. How many songs are there with a guitar and a singer? <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's, it's when they, when they say that everything's been done, they're not wrong. It's, it's, it has, but it not by you, not by you. You know, I think, uh, you know, I re- recommended that book last week. Um, what was it? The art of creativity. I, for, I forget mm-hmm. even. Yeah by Rick Rubin and in it, it's just, it's so freeing to look at art and the creation of it as, as letting go of it being defined as a defining measure of who you are as a person or, or a creator or validating your existence. You know, I think that for a long time I did that and I still do, you know, to a point, if I create something and I put it out there in my, in my, soul i'm feeling i hope people like this because this is an extension of me it's not it's literally just a moment of Mm. who i was in that moment or something that my subconscious wanted to say i mean if you think about it we're 90 percent subconscious it's only 10 percent of our conscious being that is here and present and talking to you right now but like 90 percent of you is what's internalized and we have to allow ourselves to let that out like somehow and and it's so hard to remind ourselves that we have so much in in us. We're like an iceberg, you know, there's so much below the surface. And if we don't just stop our conscious mind from, because our conscious mind sits on top, it's, it's like the, 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 you know, what is it? The trigger pressure or whatever it is, the viscous pressure, the, the little film on top of water Mm. that stops the water from overflowing out of the glass. That's our consciousness. And the subconsciousness is all the water beneath and if we don't break that, then we can't allow that to flow out, the, what's beneath to flow out. So we have to just turn it off. And it's hard to do. It's really hard to do because you have the external world telling you all of these things, especially nowadays, social media and, and everything. You have to shut everything down and be okay with it and welcome that. And when you do, it's kind of like there's like a dopamine hit when you're able to do that. I mean, you're a writer yourself. Like when you get into those modes where you can't write fast enough, where it's just flowing out of you and you don't know where it's coming from. How cool does that feel? It's yeah. I mean, for me in my small beginnings here, 
it's one of the most amazing things, you know, to see the entire world and it feels like you're cheating. Yeah. Oh, that's a great way to put it. Yeah. <laughs> like someone else did this, right? I'm just, I'm copying someone. I just don't know it yet. Uh, and it just all is right there. It's just right there. And those are some of the most incredible moments for sure. Um, and it's, it's, it's great to get to those, but you always, obviously you can't rely on those moments. Um, if you're going to try to make a living as an artist, um, that's, that's where you get to once you, like you said, once you break that little surface tension area. Um, but that's the work. That's where the real work is. The inspiration that comes out of that, that's the cake. Like that's what you want, you know, but you can't strike oil if you don't start digging. Um, yeah. Wow. Oh, great. Yeah. Yeah, I'm just full of them today, Todd. <laughs> <laughs> we can just have a podcast about this kind of stuff. Yeah. We should. Uh, so you would think by a certain time we'd seen all the action that you could pop possibly see, right? Yeah. Um, and so because it's a uh, February, you know, the month of love, we thought it only appropriate to cover what? So today we're covering Zack Snyder's uh, 300. So if you haven't seen this film, please pause it, go watch it. Uh, we're going to spoil stuff. <laughs> I guess if you don't yes. know history. Yeah. Uh, probably there's something in there, I guess. Uh, yeah. We'll look at a handful of things. It's a very simple film. There's not like that much going on below the surface, but there are some things um, and certainly a lot to, to think about and chew on. So we'll look at some of the cinematography, slow motion, um, some story and writing, dramatic effect and other such stuff and things and stuff. And a quick synopsis of the film. King Leonidas of Sparta and a force of 300 men fight the Persians at Thermopylae in 480 BC. It's directed by Zack Snyder, screenplay by Zack Snyder and Kurt Johnstad, and Michael B. Gordon. Based on the graphic novel by Frank Miller and Lynn Varley, cinematography by Larry Fong, featuring Gerard Butler as King Leonidas, Lena Headey as Queen Gorgo, uh, Dominic West as Theron, Vincent Reagan as Captain, Michael Fassbender as Thelios, Andrew Tiernan as Ephialtes, and Rodrigo Santoro as Xerxes. You have many slaves, Xerxes, but few warriors. It won't be long before they fear my spears more than your whips. It's not the lash they fear. It is my divine power. I'm a generous god. I can make you rich beyond all measure. I will make a warlord of all Greece. You will carry my battle standard to the heart of Europa. Your Athenian rivals will kneel at your feet. If you will but kneel at mine. You are generous. As you are divine, O king of kings. Such an offer only a madman would refuse. But the, uh, the idea of kneeling, it's, you see, slaughtering all those men of yours has uh, well, left a nasty crap in my legs, so kneeling will be hard for me. There will be no glory in your sacrifice. I will erase even the memory of Sparta from the histories. Every piece of Greek parchment shall be burned. Every Greek historian and every scribe shall have their eyes put out and their tongues cut for their mouths. Why, honoring the very name of Sparta or Leonidas will be punishable by death. The 
world. We'll never know you existed at all. The world will know that free men stood against a tyrant, that few stood against many. And before this battle was over, that even a god king can bleed. Todd, Bubby, tell me, <laughs> tell me why this movie is so great and why we love it so much. Explain it. All right. Well, let's get a few things uh, out of the way, you know, first, before we start talking about why this movie is so great. All right. Um, so first off, anybody who thinks they're going to come in getting a history lesson needs to check themselves at the door because almost none of this movie is accurate like well i would i would say if in terms of movies based on history i would say the approximation of this is probably more accurate than most movies that proclaim to be factious like just from the standpoint of this happened and a lot of the things that happened like uh are reported to have happened. Now, this is from Herodotus, which you would think, you know, he's kind of sketchy. Like sometimes he's, he's really reporting what he's told. And so I don't know how much of that he's parsing for fact. Um, and maybe that's kind of a widely contested thing, but it's not like this happened a thousand years before Herodotus. Mm -hmm. He was born four years before this happened. He was born in what? 44 BC. And so he was barely alive, but that would mean whenever he got an became an adult, there were still people around who lived through that moment. And so a lot of the stuff, you know, the past is largely to me, it looks pretty accurate from what I've, you know, whatever Googled. Um, and so the broad strokes, there was a betrayal that led the Persian army behind them. And so the broad strokes, <laughs> now you get into the specifics. I don't know if there's magicians throwing magic bombs or whatever, but yeah i mean okay so when i say that i mean like uh they obviously had armor they they weren't shirtless right um you know the the spartan culture was very not as free as they pronounced themselves to be when they say free right. sparta sparta sure. yeah they mean a select few and everyone else were basically slaves and, you know, women obviously had no rights, like almost nobody. It, it was it was it was a, a rough culture, let me just say. OK, so yeah. when they say free Sparta. Yeah, it's yeah. So <laughs> so there's that. Um, the Persians obviously weren't monsters um, <laughs> uh, in the, the way that they're portrayed. Um, Xerxes was not a giant, you know, like and I. Yes, there were select three group of 300, but there were more, right? Thousands uh, the more, Athenians yeah. were part of this. Mm -hmm. Um, there, uh, there was a the group that he met, you know, with those men, the Arcadians, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. They, they, like, there were like 700 of those guys, so th there were more men, um, than that. So, <laughs> anyway, I, yeah. I just want to get out of the way that, like, like. Yes. And then on top of that, just while we're pounding on them. Yeah. They, he, he goes on, you know, at some length, uh, to Ephialtes, King Leonidas does about how they fight and as a phalanx, as a unit. And then 90% of the movie is them just kind of 
roughing, you know, just going haywire on people, like not yeah. as a unit at all. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Um, anyway, and there's other things. So I, yeah. I guess I just want to call out the yeah. fact that like, like it's kind of liberties, a lot of liberties here. Well, I think the word, just the hardest thing is that like, like it kind of idealizes the, the, the society mm. and yeah, that's the biggest thing to call out. Yeah. There could yeah. be things that, there is a lot of stuff that is accurate. Like when they would send their young kids out into the wilderness when they were little, but Leonidas wouldn't have been one of them. They wouldn't have sent, sent the prince out, you know, but, um, but most like, like children who are going to be part of the, the, uh, the, I guess you want to call it military, um, would be sent out, you know, that kind of stuff like that did happen, but is a really rough society that, that, kind of um, is fantasized a little bit and so just wanted to call that out yeah, that fair. being said that being said i'll never forget the first time i saw this movie and how i just wanted to go punch a wall at the end of it and how i just there's something and maybe it's just because it's because i don't know i'm a guy i don't know i don't know a whole lot of women who like watch this movie and think oh yeah 300 this is awesome but just the i the the concept of full and total sacrifice to something that is bigger than you without question is inspiring to me and that and there was never a moment in in any of these guys where you thought that they questioned anything that their kids king said or did and even when leonidas had his moment uh in the bedroom with uh with the queen and he was talking to her and he was concerned, quote unquote, it was, it was more of a concern of, did he do the right thing by, by bringing Sparta to war? It was never a concern of him dying or him leading men, you know, and, and, and actually it wasn't even that it was more about like, how could, you know, the, the E4 say no, you know, how could mm. the Oracle say no, like we need to go into battle, you know? So there's just no question like it just is you know and um i think it, i feel the same when i watch um films about war today like it, they're hard to watch obviously i wish this kind of stuff didn't exist in the world but knowing that there are people out there and today there are people out there i mean you know anybody in the military like seals uh you know uh green berets like they just there's no question you know they just go and they do it's like so inspiring just knowing that you have a trajectory you are going to do something no matter what we're going to do fury like that's just there there are some examples of some films where i'm just like really inspired that there is a whole nother tier of of uh when you when you submit yourself to something that's bigger than you and that feels good to me like it feels like like i'm part of something bigger when i submit myself to something that's bigger than myself and these these guys had it you know and they were just a group of brothers that were never going to leave each other's side and were always there and there were so many examples throughout the the fighting scenes where they would help each other save each other um uh, and they were laughing during it and they were having fun while they were slaughtering everybody and it was like <laughs> It could have been, you know, it could have been anything else. It didn't have to be just 
straight murder. <laughs> you know, it could have been any other kind of movie, but to see that camaraderie of these guys, uh, it didn't have to be guys, just like individuals, mm. you know, supporting each other in the craziest environment is just inspiring. It still is. I really love how the changes that, you know, like, okay, obviously I don't think the queen spoke in front of the, the consulate, like in real life, probably not. That's my guess. Maybe, but probably not. But her story is, is also super important in this film. And for uh, the writers and Zach to, to make that part of the story, I think was like super important. So it's not just, it's not just these 300 who are fighting here. It's also uh, the queen who's fighting for, for him back in Sparta um, and doing, you know, terrible things because she felt like she had to, to get them to support the king and go to war. Yeah. It's, it's just really inspiring film in that regard. You're right. Like I, I, it didn't really dawn on me until you're, you're talking about it, but that sense of unity, there is no dissension, you know, in his ranks. It it is all incredibly supportive. We don't get a lot of that as guys like, and in our culture, you know, uh, you know, people talk about whatever toxic masculinity and that kind of thing. Um, And this is such a good image of, what guys really want and what we really appreciate when we run into it. This is why we love sports is because it's all about unifying um, and coming together with one common goal and doing your part. You know, we, we were able to accept when we're the quarterback and you get some of that glory, but we're also able to accept when we're a lineman, we're there to protect our guy and take the beating for him. Like we appreciate all those roles and we're all able to step into those things without a lot of, you know, complaining um and seeing that reflected in a movie in a story that is much more uh primal and also uh uh, the stakes are so much higher than a game yeah and 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 that's a great point that reminds me of the main reason why Mm -hmm. i love this film the main reason and i i don't know why i overlooked it is that leonidas yes he's king but he is no more important than any other man that stands next to him. And we are reminded of that constantly throughout the film. He reminds them of that at the end when he's dying. It was an honor to fight next to you, sir. It was an honor to have lived next to you or honor to die next to you. Honor to like, I, every time I've seen that movie, I'd like tear up when I see that it's so good. I cannot watch Gerard Butler in any other movie. (laughs) This is the first movie I ever saw him in. And I, every movie since I'm like, all I see is King Leonidas. I don't see anyone else. Like, I'm sorry, but that's, you know, that's the epitome of a, of a, just a great leader. And, and I've looked for that, like, you know, in my, in the work that I do, you know, like in my jobs, I have, I have bosses, you know what I mean? And I look for leaders. I look for people who, who I am, you know, and I try to be that leader. So, you know, if I, I have people who are under me, who I manage, they're not under me. We talk like I ask them for help. They ask me for help. What, whatever they need, I, like my goal is to give them what they need to do their job. You know what I mean? And if they need help or something, or they need time off, or they need to, like, I want to be there and help them. I want to be there for them. That's my, that's my job. I'm trying to emulate King Leonidas in my little day <laughs> job. You know what I mean? Um, but I'm also looking for that above me. And, and it, we have too few of this. We have too few of, of the leader standing next to you instead of above you. 
and and it's just so beautiful to watch something so barbaric you know and so so just yeah yeah barbaric is the best word um but at the same time so collected and calm and even even keeled yes he's directing everyone but everyone is also directing everyone else you know you hear who's his right hand man i i, I forget the, the father the yeah. captain yeah you hear him directing at times and then you hear leonidas directing at times he doesn't he doesn't step on on the captain and 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 say no 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 i'm going to do no everybody is equal because they all know they're all going to the same place you know the same thing is going to happen and he marches with them into battle knowing he's going to die you know he doesn't hang back because he's king and he's got to live and you know, no he's part of it anyway and, and even when he goes to xerxes like he tells him like you should be hoping i die that mm-hmm. would be a good thing you know, because then, you know, we're at war and then our people are saved Yeah, through my death. Like, that's a good thing. Like, and then of course, and what I also love about that scene is you have to tempt your hero with a way out that great point will help reinforce they are committed, not because they have to be, but because they want to be. And so giving him that moment of, you can have everything you can have, you can be the king of my armies or whatever. Um, and everyone is going to bow at your, your, your feet and you know, you'll have anything you want and to be able to be tempted with that. And of course for him, it's no temptation, but we need to see that he's rejecting those things in order to feel good about what he's doing and why he's doing it. Cause now you can really trust trust in you know what he's saying it's because he's had other options and so little moments like that pay off a lot just the same as you know him you know doing the whole wolf thing uh and being thrown out like we need to see that as well of course so that we see him from beginning to end as an equal to everyone else um as someone having earned the right to be called a spartan and so we we never doubt and even at the beginning we go through that whole opening sequence assuming this is any this is any Spartan. It's not until that sequence ends that, you know, they tell us, and that's our King Leonidas, you know? Um, and so that way you're kind of filling in this boy's experience with every single Spartan's experience uh, yeah. because they are all equal. Yeah. It's so good. Like there's for a movie that doesn't have that much going on, <laughs> like there's what maybe three subplots. Um, the main plot being, you know, just the fight at the pass, um, Thermopylae. And then the other ones, you know, you mentioned the queen with the council and Theron and then Ephialtes, you know, being, uh, the one who betrays everyone. Uh, and then Delios, uh, is outside the story telling it to prime the army for war that, you know, gets kicked off in at the end. This whole story is an inspiration for them, you know, whatever, fighting the the Persians. And and that's really it. And those those three stories we only kind of just glance at. Like we we dip out in order to give our guys time to stack bodies or uh get surrounded. Like we're really just those are just spices that help add context and stakes to the story and also uh uh you know to reveal why certain things are happening. Um, why the army isn't there. Why aren't they getting back up? Um, well, the queen's working on that. You know, why are they getting defeated? Well, that's Elfialtes. So let's explore that and just understand who he is. And, and, and we understand so much better who he is through that opening sequence. When we find out they, they kill any misfits. Um, and therefore you see someone who wasn't killed. What is he holding in his heart? 
he's holding hope that he could be a part. And then when he gets rejected, uh, and that, that little sequence is so good because whenever Ephialtes learns why he cannot fight, right? Because he can't raise his shield properly. That's such good exposition because for one, we're learning how a phalanx works, right? We're learning right there through the teaching of Ephialtes, which is also uh, where we get his motivation for betrayal. Like it's all tethered and tied in. It's so neat. Uh, very, very neatly told story for a movie that, you know, gets really close to two hours of runtime. It's pretty tight. Yeah. And then of course, because of the way that's all laid out from everything we've learned from the very beginning about what makes the Spartan the Spartan up until that point where Ephialtes is getting rejected, we know why it's happening to him. And we don't blame Leonidas because it wasn't an insult. There was nothing insulting about the way Leonidas treated him. It was all about being strategic and practical yes. and making, uh, uh, this is a king, uh, a general commanding his army and making decisions that impact his war. Um, and that has nothing to do with Ephialtes and everything and to he, do with and his he, battle. And he touched him. He said, he, you know, like, and I imagine in 400 BC there, you know, someone like that, who I don't think he was that disfigured, but right. uh, in real life, but I imagine he probably wasn't ever touched even, mm. you know, he touched him. He said, I'm sorry, my friend. He called him a friend. You know, I, it's a great point that he wasn't insulting about it. He's, he gave him, if you want to help, this is how you can help. He even gave him a way to help. It just wasn't what Ephialtes actually, actually wanted. So yeah, great point. It is so good. And the, the best burn of all, of course, is at the very end when he's, he tells oh. him, oh, may you live forever. <laughs> like, oh my God. <laughs> that, what a great line. I mean, seriously, what a great line in so many ways. Like there's, that's so layered. It's, it's an insult, but he, he does love him. There's a, there is love behind that, but there is also like betrayal, you know, like, and, and, and I hope you get everything that you wanted for doing this. And that you live forever remembering what you did to us. Like it's all there. It's all there. And without being explicitly stated, and that makes for such much better writing. Um, and I got to think adapting this movie had to have been, I don't want to call it easy because it, it, it's not, this is not, this is a wildly difficult movie to make, but on the front end, pretty easy. Like you're, it's a graphic novel. And I don't know if this came out as a single graphic novel or it was issues and then later compiled into a big graphic novel. I don't really know how that stuff works. Um, but if it was issue based, even better because every single issue is kind of giving you a, a great moment to end on, right? That's how a, any commercial break happens is a really good thing. That's going to keep you hanging on through the commercials so that you watch and they get their ad revenue and then brings you right back to the story. So you have to end before a commercial break on a high note, on a mysterious note, on a good catchy note. And I would comic books got to operate on the same, you know, principle of, Oh, I, I got to buy the next issue. I got to see what happens next. And you have that operating through an entire story for you already. It's built. And then on top of that, you have just, you know, a hundred pages of storyboards like laid out for you. Take your pick. Which ones do you want to use and bring to life? Now, that's the easy part. Having like 75% of your storyboards already laid out for you. The hard part, of course, is realizing those things because comic books 
wildly difficult. Like those, they're stylized in their comic books for a reason. Um, and it's because you can draw anything in the world. You can't film anything in the world. And up until, you know, around this age, uh, the mid two thousands, it was get, it was still really, really hard to realize certain things. And for him to go through that pre-production and figure out how do we achieve some of these ideas and, some of these shots, you know, the explosion with the shield, um, shielding him, and he spins around and he gets the the shield up in time. And who is that fastbender? Um, and he's got yeah. this great expression and he's flexed. Like that's a wild shot and it's freaking awesome. <laughs> and it's very much what we call the rule of cool where, you know what, does the story need this? No. Does the experience need this? Absolutely. Yeah. Because it's cool. Um, yeah. And I don't know that there's been a better movie that takes advantage of the rule of cool. Probably not. I, I would yeah. struggle to, to, to find well, one better. And, and that, and that executes it in a way that yeah. like makes it good, yeah. you know, instead of like broy or just like, you know, doing it for the sake of doing it. Like it feels like a movie like this, it could get away with, it just gets away is almost needs that in a way, you know yeah. what I mean? Like imagine if, imagine if all of them had armor on so much less cool, so much less cool, <laughs> <laughs> right? <laughs> we need him flexed at the end of massacring like 15 guys in a row. Like yeah. he just, and then he just power poses with his freaking everything out. Like yeah. he's, he's got quads popping he's got yeah, his yeah, abs yeah. ripping. Um, yeah. his bulging biceps and it's just like i don't know if this qualifies as homoerotic but it's certainly pushing the boundaries well, <laughs> and okay this is also going to address something that i wanted to make sure that we talked about which is which is not the homoerotic aspect but the <laughs> the the i guess um how do you how do you put it the the broiness or the the just kind of like oh they all have their shirts off and oh they're all <laughs> buff and whatever i guess the uh, toxic masculinity that some people would would call this and i i just i want to point out that for someone to look like that it takes so much work and i don't mean like you know for six months i mean like for a long time you know you have to be completely dedicated um and yes i i know there's airbrushing and i know there's strategic lighting and i know that there's color in the back end and all that stuff and all of that was done. I get it. But these guys had to be in ex amazing shape. You know, they're not a love handle in sight, um, not a pooch in sight. Uh, in fact, they're all probably sub 10, you know, percent body fat. And it's it's incredible um, the effort that each individual man uh, and woman, I guess, but man in this film had to go through in order to be in a in a in a shape like that which it feels accurate as well because it feels like their entire life you know when he when he's they meet the athenians or whatever it is not the athenians but the aeolians or whatever um <laughs> whatever uh when they meet those guys and they said what's your profession what's your profession spartans what's your profession like their whole lives are dedicated to to fighting and to being which makes them fit you know which makes them like you know have those abilities and and I just think it's an incredible feat. Uh, you, I know you agree as well to do that. And so calling that out um, as like toxic masculinity, just, I feel. Yeah. That you know, misses the, that misses the target, I think as completely. well, because yeah, that 
it also probably served a really good acting, you know, aspect of putting these guys all through their boot camp together to get ripped. Um, they're watching every single person's diet individually to see, yep. do they need to add weight? Do they need to subtract fat? And that's all fine tuned. And you go through that together. That can't help but show up on screen through your performances. Yeah. Like there's utility there. They're all miserable together. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, that's, that's, that's yeah. very useful. Uh, yeah. and in so many ways, I don't know. Did you, I, this was one of the few stories I remember studying in high school, um, history, uh, because of how much it stood out. Like there are aspects that I haven't heard people talk about. And that's the kind of thing where I'm like, I grew up in a small town in Texas. So how much was my English or my history teacher just kind of adding sauce versus like, this was what was in the, uh, the actual, you know, Herodotus telling it what we know about Spartans, but some of the things like they, they didn't get to really ever see their wives. Like they would go home at night in the darkness. And that's when they got to, you know, have sex with their wives and produce kids, but their whole lives were centered around fighting and that's what you did. That was your profession. And so, and then learning about, you know, Thermopylae and all that happened there. So whenever this movie came out, I knew so much like from that history class that I was walking in just super primed and surprised. I think in my mind, the pass was much narrower. It was like two to three person abreast is what would get through. And that's how they were able to, you know, take out quote unquote a million. I think they've estimated that closer to like a hundred or 200,000, which whatever, anything North of, you know, <laughs> 50,000 people is outrageous. Yeah. And so I was just surprised in so many ways um, of what may have actually gone in. And at the time, I think because it was in pop culture, there was a lot of like history channel document documentaries coming out and you're learning this and that, but I don't know. Did did you remember studying this and or learning about this in in high school or junior high? No, no. I, I wish I had. I mean, everybody loves an underdog story. You know, <laughs> right. the idea of three hundred men or you know a few hundred men going up against a hundred thousand or, or half a million or whatever is un, unfathomable. Like, how do you you know? But um, you know, fighting smart, not hard, or smart and hard. Uh, you know, like. No, I never heard that. But the moment that I did, I was intrigued just like you were. You know? Yeah. Yeah, I didn't study it. My God. So the going back to the rule of cool, like slow motion throughout the entire film, like you said, it works because of everything we're talking about. Like it's the style of the film in and of itself. And there are moments that you just, if this were another movie, you would be rolling your eyes. And to some degree, Zack Snyder's pushed that boundary in his later films where it's like, ah, it's just not working the way it did in this movie. Yeah. But it works so well. Like the moments that really don't need it, but because it's this movie, it works. The messenger coming on his horse and yes. pulling out skulls. And as we cut out of that scene, we do this wide shot of him rearing back on his horse uh, with skulls in hand dangling. And it's sl super slow motion. And it's just this big dramatic thing. And it's so cool. Like yeah. that moment didn't need that. It could have, yeah. we could have just entered the next scene, but why not? <laughs> yeah. And, and, uh, um, the coolest, I don't, uh, to me, the coolest slow-mo shot of the whole thing is when Leonidas comes out fighting and they do the speed ramps of him fighting 
um, where he'll he'll like chop somebody's leg off really fast and then it goes back to slow motion. And then as he's falling down, he'll like slice him in half or something. And then it goes back to slow motion. And and then the when he turns around and hits the guy with the the shield and like it goes really fast and then pauses right there. Unbelievable use of that. But if we hadn't had it throughout the film, that might feel out of place. Mm. So like just taking these moments to to make it maybe feel bigger so like the the horse um slow motion one yeah totally not needed but the thing that i noticed about that shot is that the horse is rearing back he's holding the heads and stuff and he's like he's the persian guy is just the messenger is is like trying to be bigger than life and then you have the two spartans just standing there right right in Mm, front of him stoic not stoic just not reacting at all and i think that says a lot and so maybe he did slow motion so that you could maybe have a have a, a few seconds to take that in that moment in i don't know but yeah. good point not needed but. not needed but no i think you're right it creating a style for the film itself allows for some of these other highly stylized moments to feel natural and not yeah. feel forced and that's a big thing i mean the color itself right is super stylized at times you're like I'm not even sure I'm seeing skin tones anymore. <laughs> like it's just yeah, it's so desaturated. <laughs> it's so wild. And you know, the slow motion in this film works really well because like the, 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 the messenger getting kicked, you know, down, mm. this is Sparta. And then he gets kicked. Um, it, it's so beautiful. It works because of all of his long robes and it gives a lot of flow and motion when slowed down. Um, whereas if he didn't have all that wardrobe on, it's just him, you know, slowly falling. And there's, that extra motion gives context to this being slow, like having still things whipping around, like gives you a sense of slowness that you take that stuff away and it loses its sense of slowness. What I've had to tell my actors before on set is when we're shooting slow-mo, I was shooting this uh, on film. Like I was shooting like 75 frames a second and on, on, you know, at 16, super 16, that's, that's not a lot of time. Like Expensive we need to be, too. yeah. <laughs> and so like, I, I, I tell everybody, here's what we're doing. You're going to, you know, run down these stairs and they're, they're stair stairs. Like uh, it's in a park. So these are like concrete stairs. And so they need to be a little cautious. And I'm like, you know, don't go so fast that you feel in danger, but you need to be going quick. Um, and so they, we set the sh- shot up and I start rolling and again, 75 frames, that's money rolling right through the, the, the frame. Um, and they start going and it's, they're kind of going and I'm like, I start kind of not like screaming at them, but just, you know, urgently telling them, Hey, Hey, faster is better. The faster you move, the cooler it looks, the faster you move, the cooler it looks. Um, and then they started just flying down still safe, not like, Oh, I'm going to trip and like kill myself. Uh, but getting that sense of okay, now the faster they're moving, you can see the their hair start to move differently. Their clothes start to move differently. Even the way their bodies, you know, adjust to each step. Uh, you can feel it all whenever it gets slowed down back to, you know, uh, a third, you know, 33% of the, the playback speed. And so that is in place. This whole, this whole film is making sure things are going to their top speed so that when we move it down to slow motion, like you get a sense of, uh, what, what does he call it? Um, the, a sense of things. Um, <laughs> and 
that, that, that moment you're talking about where they're ramping in and out, uh, there was an interesting breakdown. I don't watch a ton of whatever that show is. Uh, our friend Joe house loves this, the show, the corridor boys or something like that. Um, but they do kind of a quick breakdown of that sequence. And it looks like there's like three or four cameras that they're using all at once, a longer lens with a wider lens. Um, another lens camera that's probably on like a dolly because they do that all in one single, what feels like one shot where the, uh, he launches the spear and we follow the spear into someone's chest. And then, you know, uh, uh, we come back to him and we're just whipping around. And so match cutting between cameras and ramping in and out of speed. And that's so much work to figure out how to do this, especially when you're, you know, again, shooting on film, like there's probably a lot of trial and error that goes along with that. And I can just imagine how fun and chaotic and exciting it was in pre-production, figuring out how are we going to do this? Did they shoot this on film? I'm, I assumed, I mean, 2006, I don't know wow. that there would have been doing what you call it's uh it's, i mean it's so much cgi it's so yeah. much cg <laughs> so much blue screen i saw uh, a snapshot yeah. of some bts and it was just all blue screens oh everywhere. yeah yeah um luckily it's so intense that it's probably easy to buy into the reality of what oh, you're yeah. doing um yeah let's see yeah 35 they <laughs> shot this on, on amazing kodak yeah um just freaking wow. insane but this whole movie is built around drama and dramatic effect. Like early on when they get to the pass and they're seeing that someone else was there and that, you know, the right before they discovered the immortals were there, uh, Leonidas sticks his spear in the ground. Right. And it's just a crack of thunder and lightning like yeah. echoes from him putting his spear in the ground. Like we don't yeah. need that, but damn, is it cool? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and same thing, like some of the simple things they do, to help enforce the drama. Like when the captain's son gets beheaded and that horse comes out of, you know, from the smoke that if you're paying attention, you see it back there lingering. And so whenever we cut back and it's one of those kinds of things that I think everyone probably sees it because you're searching the background and then you see in the smoke, wait, is that a horse back there? And then you see the urgency in the father's eyes as we cut back in the, the horses in full gallop. And we're like, Oh no, uh, his son's about to get killed. And then the head comes off this kid, right? And he falls to his ground. That Everything with his son is framed without anyone else. It's clear of other soldiers, yeah, right? Even though the battlefield isn't clear yet because the captain immediately goes on a, a blood rage, right? Where he just slaughters like 10 guys in a row. Mm-hmm. Um, but you clear the frame in order to add emphasis to this kid to give a sense of safety, and then also a, a sense of, you know, failure um, that this kid got killed uh, when he didn't have to. It just draws attention and focus in so many ways into the drama of this moment of this kid getting his head taken off. Um, it's just really beautifully executed. And it's such uh, a no good way intended. to humanize these guys too. Yeah, their fathers, you know, their, their sons and their fathers and, and to have the captain bring his own son along and for Leonidas to say, you don't have to do this. And he's like, nope, nope, he's he's good and strong and he wants he wants to come. I have others to replace him. Well, this is, you know, this is a moment where he can actually say it like you because at that moment, you kind of don't identify with the captain. You're like, OK, not, you know, 
I don't look at my sons. <laughs> if I had multiple sons, I wouldn't look at like, oh, I've got more to replace him. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But then later on, when he when he does die, and he comes, and then the the captain mm. comes back after grieving, and he he said he says, I never told him that. What was it? I never told him that he would almost like he was my favorite or something like that. Basically, he made me proud. He fought with honor. Um, yeah, something like that. I just never told him, and. It just it just humanizes the captain more. It, it makes him makes us realize, oh, this could be any one of us. And and his reaction when that happens is so I mean, I could almost how how amazingly not fun necessarily, but cathartic would it be to play one of these characters to play the captain or to play Leonidas or any of these guys where you could just like take out all any kind of emotion like when his son dies and he reacts like that, that feels natural. That felt so freaking real, so real. And, and in so many other films, it would have been underplayed. Like, you know, because we have, we have, there's, there is this uh, idea of like underplay for the camera. And I think that Mm. a lot of times, especially nowadays in in films nowadays, you're, you should do that. You overacting is a real problem, but in a situation like that, it is not possible to overact. You know, and he didn't let anything go. I mean, he just uh, he didn't hold anything back. And it was just incredibly it felt real, you know, in that moment. Wonderfully done. Like every film is its own universe. And understanding that allows you to go to a level 10 in your emotions whenever you need it. They can be stoic when they need to be in this film. And that adds so much contrast when they let loose, like the, the amount of posing that doesn't feel like posing where it just feels honest is pretty remarkable. That's really good acting to see Gerard Butler baring his teeth and screaming. Like that's such a pose, but because of his performance and the context, it doesn't feel like a pose. It feels like a, 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 a primate who found his way into civilization. <laughs> like it's, it's yeah. amazing. Um, yeah. I, I love it. There's, and it's a, it's such an efficient film and I'm, I really am, you know, impressed by that to have these, these quick subplots that bounce in and out and give so much, you know, m- more room to breathe for, for the action moments. Like you have to be so, so tight and concise with some of these mo- moments in order to allow whatever, a, a, a few five minute action sequences, um, because those start to really eat up time and space. Um, and yet they still find ways to let the audience think and engage with the film. Like, even a God King can bleed, right? That's what he says at the end of the, the, his meeting with Xerxes where he's telling him, no, you're, he doesn't say you're wrong, but he's, he says you're wrong. Everyone will know that few stood against many and that, uh, even a God King can bleed. And of course, whenever he makes his final stand and he throws his spear and he cuts the, uh, the, you know, Xerxes face and he's bleeding, they never repeat it. They never say, see, told you uh-huh. like they just let you think it on their behalf and that's yeah. an opportunity for the audience to engage with the film that's what i mean by that is let the audience think what you're saying uh without you having to say it uh and they they have several of these moments even though there's several other moments where they don't where they how many times do we hear them say the immortals uh will put their name to the test like probably two or three times um yeah. and that's fine like it's still fun uh because 
why not? They, they're, we're about to see a bunch of guys get slaughtered. Uh, let's dive a little bit more into their psyche of what they're doing um, and what they're thinking as they're doing it. Because that first guy gets killed right as he's saying, I think, um, we'll put their, their name to the test. And you can kind of read that in. Now, Leonidas doesn't say it. This is the narrator, um, Dilios, um, as he's narrating everything, which is another thing. Like, I was, yeah. right? Narrating is tricky about when to use it versus when not to. Several films use it when it's like, eh, you don't, you don't need narration right now. All you really need is to let the, the story speak for itself. Here, it's really useful. It allows us to get in and out of sequences so much faster in order to keep the story tight and contained even though the narrator often isn't really telling you something brand new. He's cut, but he is, it's necessary for one because he's actually talking to an army and it's, it's useful um, as a device again, to, to keep the story tight. And it helps us, I guess, emotionally engage with what isn't being said by the soldiers. Now you, you, they would have been making a mistake if they were doing both. If they were constantly having the narrator jump in and also having the characters say what the narrator is saying. That's that's really not great use of narration. But to find it useful is to use it whenever things aren't being said. And now you want someone to step in and add a little context or add some emotional depth. Because these guys are so stoic most of the time. It's nice to be told, uh, yeah, the one guy who isn't, you know going crazy with everyone else is Leonidas. And I love that scene where the, the storm is striking all the ships. I mean, it's beautiful uh, and it's fun to see these guys just losing their minds and acting like savages um, and yeah. well, being savages, I guess more, more accurate, but, uh, and then see Leonidas like just posed, you know, poised. Yeah. Yeah. And, and um, a great example of that is the scene with the E4s, right? So Leonidas, we, you know, climbs the mountain to go see the E fours, mm. and he's standing there, and he's he wants to go to war, but he he knows he can't he can't like kill them or defy them or whatever. He just has to basically take it, and you can see the frustration on his face. But it really helps to have the narration calling these these creatures, you know, like mm. like like diseased and and uh, uh, like monsters basically yeah yeah all these names and stuff because because they are gross and they are terrible and we know that and but we want to know that also leonidas knows that Mm. and thinks that and so he's basically narrating leonidas's feelings without leonidas being able to say them you know yes he's acting them but hearing them also cements it in in our minds that leonidas knows this is this is total bs like this sucks you know so yeah that that helps for sure but i also love the fact that the the narrator is in multiple places throughout the film first off when we first at the very beginning when we hear the narrator we just think oh this is a narration film okay all right there's a there's a voice of god right we don't know that it is uh this messenger um who's gone back to um to speak to the council right and to to uh get greece to go to war speak uh, and then and then at the end he's speaking to the 100 or the 30,000 greeks that are standing there about to have that final battle but he changes posi- he changes where he is you know like throughout the film and i love that that we find that out throughout the film our journey we're not just it's not just a journey of the 300 to thermopylae it is a journey 
yes, that, but it's also this journey of getting Greece to go to war and then this journey of them finally being at war a year later. And we're going on this with the narrator and it's, 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 it's a wonderful completion, you know, uh, to the film to see them running into battle. Um, it really uh, yeah, is. And he got us there because, and I think the other thing that makes this film so resonant for like us is seeing the principle at play here. Like they're doing it despite it being not because they're going to die, but despite they're going to die and they take pride and honor in that um, because the reason they're there is on principle. There's a, the, the principle, you know, to not take my country needlessly into war, but putting your money where your mouth is, right? I mean, we've heard it uh, a thousand times over the last, you know, 20 years. Like, how nice would it be if, you know, leaders of a country were the ones who went into battle? Uh, we'd probably see a lot less battle these days, uh, a lot fewer wars. And to see someone who's saying, yes, this war, this battle needs to be fought. And like you were saying earlier, like, I'm going to be, I'm not above anyone. I'm not going to just send people into their deaths. I am going to show that the principle is strong enough that even I will step in and everyone adhering to this to a, to a fault um, is really satisfying um, because there's so much dignity and honor in that. And that's, you know, gravitational pull for, for dudes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I love the moment by the way. And I think you talked about the, uh, uh, um, uh, the scene where he says, where you know it's after the first battle and they're just like going around killing everybody um well it's laying there on the battlefield and he said he says pray that they're that stupid yeah. pray that they'll kill me and and he's like he takes a bite of the apple size there's no reason we can't be civil as, a st- <laughs> as the captain kills one of the guys who's just wounded on the battlefield <laughs> it's just a, like you know a great piece of writing that also humanizes them uh, again adds a little bit of lightheartedness to a really like just brutal scene. Um, But they're kind of like, there's these moments of them having joy Hmm. while winning, you know? Yes. Joy while slaughtering, but while, while winning and joy while doing what they do best, which in this case is battle and to have a few moments of lighthearted, like just like a single moment of lighthearted laughter is just really, really great. Anyway, I so, love it. I mean, honestly, it's such a good popcorn movie for me. Yeah. I just absolutely more than a popcorn movie, I guess. It, you know, I think for a long time, I'm just going to really enjoy this every now and then. You know? It's nice. Yeah, it's it's hard to you get to watch this and mentally check out and you can just mm-hmm. kind of be and exist. It doesn't ask a lot of you. It asks a tiny bit of, you know, of you. Uh, but for the most part, it's really just providing a lot of energy um, a lot of i don't know inspiration if you want to call it that and fun it's just a fun popcorn yeah. movie this is the epitome of a popcorn movie um yeah. and that's okay like yeah you know this is probably around the peak of Zack snyder for me like between this and dawn of the dead i don't know that he's climbed those heights again um i, I really like Watchmen. i know that's not everyone else's favorite but that really worked for me. Otherwise, like I keep, I'm rooting for him. I'm going to keep watching this stuff, but um, I keep wanting to see yeah. something else. I don't know. Yeah. I, I, I agree. I agree. Um, I just love how he threw himself into the world. Didn't try to recreate the world practically. And he just like yeah. went to, 
I, it's one of those scenarios where I love that the whole thing is CGI because the entirety of it is CGI. I mean, maybe the dirt is not CGI, but everything else absolutely is. And, and you know, it's, it's, it's from the graphic novel. So why not make it look like a graphic novel? You know, why not have some of the things they do be ridiculous? Like when Thelios jumps into the air, I mean, like 10 feet into the air while the guy's about to whip him and like cuts his arm off. That's ridiculous. No way that that would that that could happen. Or when when Leonidas is climbing to see the E4s and he jumps to the next handhold climbing the mountain in his cape like there's I'm so no, you know, or the fact that there's a giant hole with no gate or anything fencing around it in the middle of Sparta. Just Don't a fall giant in there. hole. Yeah, just like, okay, well, there are children running around here, right? Like, you're God. The weak uh, ones don't survive. Yeah. Like, why? of course, of course. Yeah. Like, why not? Just go all in. I don't think that most movies could do that. And this one does it and it does it like super well. So, yeah. Super well. Um, nice. What? Uh, <laughs> I think that's about all I have. Me too. What, uh, what are you, you going to recommend this week? Okay. This week, this week, I'm, it's weird. It's not a film. It's a show, but I've lost a lot of sleep this week watching this show. Um, I'm going to recommend Love on the Spectrum on Netflix. <laughs> wow. I randomly put it on. I was, I watched something. And then afterwards I was like, okay, I need to, I need to de decompress or whatever. <laughs> um, and I just randomly put it on. And it is so beautiful. I just like the next day uh, after watching a few episodes, I was talking to Jenny about it, my wife and, and saying how I was like crying at some moments. Like, it's just so beautiful. It's so beautiful. And it just reminds you that like everybody wants love and everybody mm -hmm. needs love. And it's, there are these moments where I'm thinking, I want to be more like that guy. And I don't in a lot of ways, and, you, know, you know, but in a lot of ways I do and, and how really at our core, we just want, we just want love and it, it's just beautiful. And I, for like three nights in a row, I just kept watching and kept watching and kept watching. And it's not anything special. It's not like good cinematography or anything or like, but when you talk about reality shows and how bullshit they are, this is super real. This is like. I mean, you can't have these people. Um, you can't tell them to do something like they just do. They just are how they are, you know, and it's so weird because it's, there's so many awkward moments that you or I would be like, oh, my God, this is so awkward. This is not working. And then um, like there's this, I'll just really quickly. There was one interaction where this guy who he's super on the spectrum and he just talks a lot. He won't stop talking. And he's on a date, his first date with this girl, and um, she has Down syndrome, and he she is barely talking. And you're sitting there thinking, this is so awkward and so weird, um, that the things he's saying or whatever. And then he asks her if he's, she's having a good time, and she says, it's the, the best day of my life. Like, all of a sudden, you would never have thought it. And it just hit me for some reason. Like, we expect so much from so from people expect like you know i'm doing this for you what do you think or i do and to have this 
this beautiful young lady just all of a sudden say it's the best day of her life. And she had barely said a single word the entire <laughs> time. Like, oh, you know, they don't expect much. It, it was just beautiful. Anyway, so that's a pretty now. good sales pitch. Okay. I, mean... <laughs> I, I just was, it was like one o'clock in the morning and I'm crying <laughs> in bed. Like, you know, my wife's laying next to me and I'm just like, oh my God, you know, trying to quiet, cry quietly watching Love on the Spectrum. Oh man, so good. Okay. Anyway, what? Wow. <laughs> which is so weird to recommend that after three hundred. Yeah, I know. Uh, which is kind of why I recommended it. I guess. <laughs> nice. I'm going to lean back into three hundred, and it. recommend a Japanese film. It's called Thirteen Assassins. If you like this whole small group against you know all the big bads, uh, Thirteen Assassins is right for you. Uh, it's about you know, 13, uh, unemployed, uh, Ronin or whatever, um, samurai. And they're there to bring down like a, a big bad guy. And so, yeah, very classic. I don't know, kind of a seven samurai kind of thing, but modern, this is, uh, 2010. So a few years after 300, all the vibes. Uh, yeah. So if you're looking for something that like, man, I could use a little bit more 300, but in a language I don't speak, uh, then this one, go go watch 13 Assassins. I'm sure it's probably streaming somewhere. Um, Peacock, I think. I nice. just looked it up because I want to watch it. <laughs> if you uh, stay tuned for next week, we are going to be taking a look at Brad Pitt and Fury, the World War II tank movie. And so, yeah, I'm sure that's streaming. Where is that on Netflix or something right now? Yeah. Nice. So take a look at that. We'll cover that next week. And if you're enjoying the show, don't forget, subscribe, drop us a review, leave us a note. If there's something you want us to talk about. Uh, and if you want to comment on this episode, tell us, I don't know, what's your, show us your war face. Uh, you can do that at the, at the com slash 300. And our quote of the day, uh, this is, uh, I'm going to try to read this. It's like, yeah. 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 Anyway, is from Herodotus, Herodotus, Herodotus. Herodotus. Yeah. Thank you. Uh, it is better it is better by noble boldness to run the risk of being subject to half the evils we anticipate than to remain in cowardly listlessness for fear of what might happen. Hmm. So essentially, is that like it's better to be a warrior in a garden than a gardener in a war? Yeah. Kind of thing. Yeah, I that's what I take from it is he's saying it's better to run into the danger you you know you're anticipating than to sit mm -hmm. back in fear of what could happen if you do that in the first place like yeah. it's effectively what we talk about all the time with creating your art like man it's so much easier to do nothing <laughs> it's always going to be yeah. easier to sit on your ass and and think about what might have been you know that's the uh napoleon dynamite you like I, I, I could have went all the way i could have went pro um i bet you i could throw this football over those other mountains <laughs> <laughs> And, you know, it's it's so much easier to do that than to go fail. Like, failing sucks, man. Um, but that's the process. That's that's what you do. And it's better. Like, and this is the thing that bothers me so much about modern culture is you're on display all the time. You know, people yeah. use this word cringe, and I freaking hate it. It's such a cynical view of the world uh, that tells you it's so much better to not risk being vulnerable. Because if you're vulnerable, you might look stupid. And it might make people cringe. It's like, you coward, you filthy piece of shit. How about you stop judging everyone for what they're trying to do and trying to be and you step up and you show us something like so much of the world, so much of the internet is based around mockery 
And it yeah. drives me nuts because it's so much easier to tear something down than, than it is to build something. Yeah. So yeah. screw that. Step yeah. up and face your fears. Yeah. I've I've heard I, I think it's I think it's Buffalo. When there's a storm coming, mm. Buffalo run into the storm. They don't run away from it. And the reason is because it it's it's they run through it, essentially. Because if they ran away from it, they would just be in it for a lot longer. So instead, they run through it, uh, and it goes it goes by, by faster. And I've always thought like that's such a great metaphor for mm. you know things in your life. I mean, not everything. If some things are just hard and you want to avoid them, I know. But in some cases, it might be easier to run into the storm, you know, or to uh, to address the the issues you know coming at you. So. Yeah, great, great quote. I mean, yeah. it's heavy-handed word-wise, but it's right. Yeah, it's definitely <laughs> you know old-school stuff. Um, yeah. And I, the the one quote of this film that that's always stuck with me, not just because it's really damn cool, but it's really reported to have been said on the battlefield, which was that that line from uh, Thelios, which was the uh, "Our arrows will blot out the sun, and we will fight in the shade." Like that's, that was really said? That is what was supposed to have been said in actuality. Yeah. Wow. Unbelievable. Like, the poise. Um, now, I assume he didn't say it in English. <laughs> like, but, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But like, yeah, you know what? If this is what it's going to be, then this is what it's going to be. Let's just do it. Yeah. Um, yeah. Charge the storm. I dig it, man. Yeah. Amazing. Charge the storm. That's that's there you go. We're going to end on that. That's a perfect mic drop moment. All right. Thank you guys so much for joining us. This was so much fun. I can't believe it's taken us 265 episodes to do 300. <laughs> we should have done it on 300. Yeah, I mean, no. come on. Like, oh, God, super fail. So close. Anyway, hope you guys enjoyed it. Uh, please subscribe, review us wherever you get your podcasts, share us with your friends. It all helps. And if there's a film that you'd like to see us pick apart, please share. Uh, we'd love to hear it. And maybe one day we'll do it. Until next time, I'm Todd. I'm Wes. Go watch some movies. Thank you.